packed with bright, fresh, bold flavors and beer pairings to complement each dish, my new book, The Craft Brewery Cookbook, brings the beer garden straight to your kitchen. It'll be released on May 10th, and you can pre-order now wherever books are sold. Organized into chapters according to beer type, including hoppy ales, lagers and pilsners, wheat beers, and Belgian-style ales, this cookbook will help you discover each beer's style and flavor profile and how it pairs with the accompanying recipes, each from a different American brewery, including many from the voices you've heard on this show. Whether you're a fan of fruity kettle sours or New England IPAs, the Craft Brewery Cookbook will show you how to create the ideal meal to accompany your favorite beer. It's published by Princeton Architectural Press, and you can pre-order now wherever you buy books and get it delivered on May 10th. The Craft Brewery Cookbook breathes new life into the concept of food and drink pairing by offering an inspired take on contemporary beer styles and cuisine. Pre-order your copy today wherever you get your books. This is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall, and we're headed to Virginia and the Wheatland Spring Farm and Brewery to talk about land beer, estate farming, and sourcing ingredients that are as local as the property where the beer is brewed. But first, we're able to bring you this show each week, thanks to the companies that want to support journalism in the beer space. You can help us out too. Learn more by emailing sponsor at beeredge.com. Also, a reminder to visit beeredge.com to sign up for the newsletter to catch up with great Beer Edge podcast episodes and to check out our merch page, which is filled with This Week in Rauk Beer gear, as well as Defend Pilsner mugs. As I've mentioned, I'm always on the lookout for new-to-me breweries, especially ones that are bucking the normal trends. Todd DiMatteo of Good Word Brewing put Wheatland Spring Farm and Brewery on my radar, and for that, I'm thankful. So on this episode, I'm talking with John and Bonnie Branding. They're the couple behind the brewery that sits on 30 acres of farmland about an hour west of Washington, D.C. There, they're growing their own grains, including some that haven't seen the light of day in beer in quite some time. They have herbs and produce that go into the beers as well, honey for fermenting and flavor, and at least three distinct yeast strains, all harvested from the land. The brandings say that the brewery has been a long time in the making. It opened in 2019, and they are farming for fermentation, working with research facilities and other local farms to source all they need and to push the idea of local agriculture in every pint. They spoke to me from the brewery. Here's our conversation. When people ask, when people come and visit, and they might not be familiar with the term you're using of land beer, how do you describe that? How do you how do you get them clued in? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, and so our our experience um, and how we interpret land beer are are pretty closely uh, connected. So. We, we first became introduced to the concept uh, when we were living in Germany. We lived in, um, in Munich for, for quite some time, for many years. And um, in, especially out in the country, um, in Bavaria, they, they talk about land beer and the way we, we were, it was explained to us and the way we always interpreted it uh, was making a beer um, that is local to that place. Um, using ingredients that are from there, the techniques and methods that have been passed down. There's a very large focus on a uh, an artisanal respect for the craft um, and a focus on 
local ingredients, not for um, any kind of marketing uh, or any kind of uh, attempt at trying to um, farm to tableize uh, the beer, but in a sincere effort to connect agriculture and brewing. Um, and, and in that region, it happens to be predominantly loggers. And so we've noticed that a lot of a lot of the usage of land beer um, in more recent years, in the U.S. at least, uh, seems to have keyed in on this idea of uh, uh, a country lager or a rustic lager. But as it was explained to us by the Bavarians, um, it, it could be any kind of beer, any kind of style that is done with this um, this approach um, of sourcing local ingredients, truly local ingredients, uh, reconnecting agriculture and brewing together and making something of that place um, from those ingredients available. So when we look at land beer, we look at um, beyond lagers and we surely make uh, lagers that are grown with ingredients, including uh, barley and wheat and triticale from our farm and yeast from our farm and water from our farm. But we also look at other styles. We look at um, farmhouse ales or other types of ales that, that can be made with ingredients that are uh, from here. And to us, that's land beer. I love it. And I love that you're going beyond the loggers as well. Cause I mean, I, 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 I'm an unabashed logger fan. Um, I, 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 that that's no secret. Um, but going to a brewery, <clears throat> it is exciting to try a brewer's interpretations of different styles. When you all first started out, did you have, I don't know, hopes, designs, um, an idea of what like a flagship offering would be from the farm and has that panned out? Yeah, we actually, we, um, our, I guess our flagship is our approach. And so it's, it's the land beer approach. As far as actual styles go, we wanted to hit mm -hmm. a couple categories, but specific beers, um, that was never necessarily the plan. We've kind of developed into a couple lanes of, of beers that we enjoy, uh, and that, that uh, folks seem to enjoy, um, but it's it's always been a focus on loggers, um, farmhouse ales or Piedmont ales as we call them for our uh, growing region here, and strong beers. Um, so many of those beers are, are keeping beers. Uh, for us, that makes sense for what we do here in the long timeline that we have to um, balance with growing the crops uh, and making the beer and then uh, barrel resting that beer. I would have to say from a front of house perspective, it's always um, fun for us to introduce folks to styles they might not be as familiar with. Um, even something in the farmhouse ale category, um, helping customers experience those yeast driven beers and talking to them about, you know, where on the farm the yeast came from where the grains were grown, when they were harvested, everything that they're experiencing either on, on draft or in bottle. And they're finding those saisons and farmhouse ales to be you know, quite sessionable and enjoyable, perhaps a departure from what they um, experience when they're, you know, um, have maybe tasted something uh, wild before and they're not getting that um, you know, intense uh, flavor that might not be for every palate. So um, introducing folks to um, farmhouse ales that are, you know, quite sessionable and um, something that is unique to, to some people visiting us here. Yeah. I, I imagine that you have people who come through 
who are well versed in what a brewery tap room can be. Um, you all being on a fairly different setting. Um, does it take a few minutes for people to adjust their, I don't know, expectations isn't the right word, but to, 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 to adjust to your setting versus I don't know, how so many other breweries might present themselves. Yeah. And that's something that that's, you know, right there in the, in the same lane, we have so much fun um, with folks who, you know, might be familiar with driving to a rural setting um, to visit a brewery. Um, but when, you know, they park next to the barley, that's going to be, um, you know, this year's harvest and they'll be tasting in their glass some months after that, or even years after that. And we start to make that connection for them, um, you know, telling them what might look like grass in that field is actually barley. And let me tell you about what else is here on the farm. Um, you know, they, they start to, you know, understand what we're doing at a different level, um, understand how um, a rural location for a brewery is different than, you know, the working farm that we've created here with the sole intention of uh, farming for fermentation. Um, and uh, that's refreshing. And then it's also, you know, really important to us that anyone, regardless of prior beer knowledge, be 100% comfortable when they visit. So we think it's um, our job if someone, you know, walks up and says, hey, I, you know, I drink this you know, typical American lager. Do you have anything like that? And um, we can, you know, find something that will be okay for their palate and then, uh, you know, offer something that might uh, expand their horizon a bit and they're into it. I mean, and uh, to be, uh, to be brief about it. Um, and yeah, so just uh, making sure everyone's uh, comfortable and explaining further what what we're all about here can you give me an overview of the farm what people can expect when they come to visit you know what it is yeah for for sure i, I can i can do the ag part and then bonnie yeah. can do the the front of house part um so um we were 30 acres uh, just over 30 acres um and uh the vast majority of that is dedicated to small grains um and that's primarily barley and wheat. And we had some triticalian last year and a couple other things that are uh, in the works for the out years. But um, the vast majority is dedicated to uh, to grains uh, for the beer. Uh, we, we grow uh, the majority of grain that we use in our beer, um, which, and this is, we're going on our fourth year now of a state grain harvest. So um, when you come here, you either see one of two things. You see a field, <laughs> it depends, of course, on the season, but right. um, assuming it's about this time of year, the next couple of months here, you're going to see a field of cover crops. Um, we practice a, a version of regenerative agriculture. So we're, we're pretty serious and aggressive about our cover cropping, uh, building nutrients back into the soil um, uh, through, uh, through organic matter, um, or you have a field of grain. And so right now we have uh, the majority of our fields in uh, two different kinds of experimental cultivars. Uh, one is of barley and the other one's of wheat. 
uh, excuse me, two barleys and one wheat. Um, and we were told uh, by the folks who bred the seeds that we're the first uh, farm to grow these for the sole intention of malting and brewing. Really? Um, they were designed for that, but we're the first ones out. We have a really great relationship with Virginia Tech, which is the largest uh, seed breeder east of the Mississippi. And uh, we're testing these under real world conditions and we'll, we'll malt them um, and then we're going to brew with them. And uh, to their knowledge and to our knowledge, this is the first time uh, these particular types have been made into beer. I I want to keep talking about the farm and I was going to ask you to, like, I wanted to go through ingredients uh, one by one, but um, we can start with malt and then we can kind of keep going back to the farm. But um, sure. when, when, when you are running trials, what are the aromas? What are the flavors that you're, that you're experiencing? Yeah. So, well, I'll, I'll, we'll tell you in six months. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is, this is the, this is the exciting part of this. It's almost like, um, I guess in the, to put a different lens on it in a, in a Vintner framework, it's like coming up with a new breed of grape and growing that. And after a few seasons, you get to really understand how it performs in your soil, how it performs in your climate and how it performs using your methods of converting that from a produce item into a finished agricultural product. So we, there's a lot of questions. Um, and do, do you, know, you have expectations? I, well, yeah, I, we, we sure do. Um, we expect that these will grow exceptionally well and we think they'll be quite expressive um, based on the soil because they were bred to do well here. And already uh, they've, they, they're really, really hardy. They're looking really good. Um, they're coming up very strong noticeably strong. Um, and our expectation is that they're going to perform really well. Um, and then we'll, just as we did last year, um, we'll probably run the first couple of maltings uh, at a very low kiln uh, so we can get as much of the field expression there as possible. And then we can start dialing in um, where these want to go based on uh, what qualities they have within them. So to us, you know, the question we're asked sometimes is like, isn't this a big risk putting these these new um, grains in the field? And the answer is, yeah. As a, as a <laughs> farmer, every time you're putting something in the field, it's a risk. Like your 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 ability to influence is a pretty small circle. Um, there's a lot that's out of your control, and so you can do everything right, and you can still lose the crop. But putting these sorts of crops in gives us a, a much better fighting chance to um, to use fewer amendments. Um, because they're designed for this region to do better here. So they, they have natural uh, disease resistance. Um, they're going to be more expressive. They travel shorter distances, so there's less CO2. There's a whole bunch of different benefits to doing it uh, this way from our perspective. Uh, and so we, we have high hopes. And then to be clear about what we've done over the last four years, yeah. all those years of planting have been uh, varieties of grain that have are tried and true um, for the brewing process. So this is the first year that we had partnered with Virginia Tech on these experimental grains. So um, coming back to your question of what flavors they might throw, that's yeah. where you know the, the answer of six months time will tell. Yeah. <laughs> so when you asked if we're excited about anything, uh, yeah, we're we're very excited about some things for sure. Yeah. No, I I I, I dig it, and I mean it, it's there's got to be something. Maybe not, but I, I, I think I, when you were explaining that, my mind sort of jumped to when I talk to brewers that are making the the same beer day in and day out, 
and they're doing well at it and they're fun to drink and they are uh, uh, commercially well received. Um, but there's not always the, you know, the lingering, maybe worry is not the right word, but you know, the, 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 there's something lingering in the back of the mind of like, well, we've put a lot into this and we're not quite sure where it's going to go. Um, and you can be hopeful. I, I, and I'm not trying to, 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 to scare you unnecessarily, um, but that, that's got to be exciting in its own way with being in a, in a in an industry that is as old as beer is, but still trying to innovate, still trying to have experimentation and branching out into the unknown. Hundred percent, and you and you you said the key word there for us. This is how we look at this. So, when when we look at the farming, um, we don't look at it as a as a throwback. Um, we look at our approach and how we're how we're how we're going about this uh, to try to be as innovative as possible. And that's for the beer. Uh, that's for the environment. That's for our region. That's for small farms. It's a it it it, it hits on a lot of different uh, levers here. But for us, the ability to get into these new grains is a huge frontier uh, in beer and. It's it's been said that you know there was first a, a push for water and then there was a push for yeast and then there was a push for hops and grain are the kind of the next frontier here uh, of innovation and I from our perspective at least I think the grains go even a step further because all those other steps or at least yeast and hops tended to centralize the control or power of the folks who were creating those new uh, types or varietals. And it, it consolidated those um, those breeds into specific places, um, whether it's regions or organizations or whatever it was. Um, whereas grain has the exact opposite impact. So grain is actually decentralizing. Um, when we're able to breed grain for different regions in the United States, we're actually able to decentralize it from where it is now. It's very concentrated. And as you may have heard last year's crop report, uh, uh, barley suffered pretty badly yeah in in um the uh in the northwest and for us not just for you know hedging your bets for having it in different spots but being able to grow grain in 12 different regions across the united states starts to get into this model where you can have 12 unique cultural uh food and drink epicenters around the united states and there's no competition there between them because they're different and enjoyable just like you go to parts of Germany and France and you get, you know, a Bordeaux or you get a champagne or you get a Riesling um, and they're different wines, but they're just as enjoyable from one place to the next. So why can't we do the same with beer here? Uh, and we see small grain innovation, creating these different, uh, laying, laying some of the, the foundation to create these different um, pockets uh, throughout the United States. And you see this happening with malt houses too. And so you get craft maltsters and we only use craft malt in, in all of our beer. But you see craft maltsters in popping up around. And so when you combined craft maltsters in different regions and you decentralize malting and you create a source where small farms can get back in the grain, grain game, and they can make good money off of these premium grains in different regions, you start to shift the entire game. And then you start to get the opportunity for more and more brewers to have access to really high quality, really fresh, really expressive, unique grains to their region 
to make beers that are, we would argue, land beers for those different regions. And as, as much as we love, you know, certain styles from Europe um, and as um, as talented as some brewers are in the United States to so closely replicate those styles um, by, you know, adjusting uh, the chemistry in their water, by using uh, a certain type of malt from Europe, um, et cetera. Uh, we really do our best, and it is scary, but we do our best to celebrate agriculture, celebrate what here tastes like, and um, you know, not not alter it to just you know make it disguise it as something else. So we're saying this is what Wheatland has to offer. This is what Wheatland tastes like, and it's nothing that you've tasted before. Yeah, and and, and don't get us wrong, the. Uh... The macro brewers and engineers are wizards. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. That, no, I'm that, not. That they're, that they're able to take an agricultural product, which is varied, and create something uniform time and again is, is it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> and, and they really do fantastic work. It's just a very, very different approach. And so I think, you know, kind of this, this idea, exactly what Bonnie was saying is, you know, um, living in Munich, we love loggers. Uh, we lived in Northern Germany for a while too. And we love Pilsners equally. Um, it's like two children. You can't pick one. Uh, they're both great, but. Um, <laughs> I only have one, so I can, I can get away with that. Well, there you yeah. go. There yeah. you go. But, but for us, you know, that's what they brew because that's what's around them. So you, if you, you know, we'd take a, a weekend trip up to the Hollertau region and you understand where they get their hops and why they do that. And then you see the barley's growing and that's what they make beer out of. And so, our, our idea is actually similar in some ways to how they do it, whereas they use what's around them to make the beer. And that's our approach. So uh, 95% of our ingredient sourcing is small businesses. And of that, 91% is all from our growing region. So that's Maryland, Virginia, and North Carolina. And so yeah. do, does our lager taste identical to an Augustiner? No. Uh, but is the intention for that? No, it's not. It's to make something that tastes like here. Yeah. But again, that, that, that to me, and as I've been tasting around various, we love beers, Augustine. Sure. No, of course, <laughs> as, as you should, as everybody should, but um, especially when it comes to local grains, local malt, um, there is a taste difference. Like if I'm doing blind tastings, I can usually tell when something is made from a smaller farm usually uh, because there is a little, a little bit more graininess, a little bit more rusticness, a little bit more uh, grittiness um, that, that comes through. And um, when I figure out that that's what I'm tasting, I can adjust my mind and, and it, and it goes, you know, to, to a much happier place. When you have people come through who might be thinking about those ultra refined tastes of Augustina or you know, whatever else is being made and your beers taste like your farm. It, is that a conversation that people are easy to come around on money when you're you know talking to them at the bar or does it take a little convincing? Um, so this is a testament to our team. I can say that across the board, um, regardless of someone's beer history, when they come to the farm, 
Um, they have a very pleasant experience with what we have to offer. Um, folks who want to explore our farmhouse ales and get into that small farm feel and taste that you're talking about, um, do that. Uh, someone who is looking for a clean, crisp, refined beer um, can also find that on find that on the menu. Yeah, and I think John, I think it's um, we're we're very fortunate because we work primarily with two maltsters. Um, yeah, and we've had um, we've had incredibly good fortune um, with the quality of product that we get, and so um, whether it's grain that we grow here, and no one cares more about our grain than we do, I guarantee it, um, <laughs> or from other small farms here. And we know most of the farmers who grow the grain for our beer. Um, there's a small community of uh, small grain farmers here, and we most of us know each other. Um, but there's a pride that people take in that. And so I can't speak for all small farms and all craft monsters across the nation, but I know the ones that we work with um, take a great deal of pride and do an outstanding job in producing really high quality ingredients, raw ingredients. And the maltsters take uh, a lot of pride and are exceptionally skilled at creating uh, custom malts uh, for uh, whatever it is that the, whatever raw ingredients uh, we send them. And so whether it is a, a delicate Pilsner malt or something into the, uh, uh, the darker malts, uh, the roasted ones, the kiln, the heavily kiln ones, um, our, our experience has been uh, the ability to craft refined beer. Um, and that's like Bonnie said, that's a testament to the, the crew here to take, to take those ingredients and to have the patience and the technical skills and the understanding um, to, to be able to, to do that. And I would, our, the way we look at this is because sometimes we hear about um, consistency um, we care about quality yeah. above all else. Consistency um, is okay, um, but I would much rather focus on quality because if 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 a product using an agricultural ingredient is consistent, it typically means a few things have happened. Uh, one is that the ingredients have become um, commoditized somehow; they become blended on the on the front end, uh, which happens a lot in the malt houses for consistency, and so the numbers look the same but you could have very different grains from different growing seasons from different farms in there. So they perform individually differently, but the numbers on aggregate are the same or during the process itself, the brewing process, different things are done to create um, a product that is more uniform time. And again, to us, both of those have the likely outcome of stripping away or taking back or muting some of the natural agricultural expression that you get from those ingredients. And so for us, the beer we make is from small batch craft malt. And so those are all single origin. Um, the benefit there is that we can call the maltster, the, the person actually uh, running the kiln and say, hey, tell us about this. Cause they were out in the field with the farmer and they know what happened to this grain, the whole, the whole process. And they can talk about the friability or they can talk about the moisture in the field or they can talk about the protein levels at a much greater depth so we can adjust our processes here to get the most out of it. And so it's a different way of looking at it and it's a different way of, of thinking about how you approach not only brewing, but also the ingredients and how important ingredients are in the final product. I feel like we've spent a lot of time and we can do the whole, whole show on malts and grains. Um, 
but I want to talk about everything else that comes from the farm and that goes into the beer. And let's start with water. When you all were thinking about the farm, um, did location and water groundwater quality come into play? Yeah. Um, you know, this uh, dream has been in the making for well over a decade at this point. I, I feel like when we opened our doors, it was a decade. So um, <laughs> it's kind of stuck in my head. Um, but when we were imagining where this might, you know, happen, where we might uh, start the farm, uh, one of the key criteria was the groundwater. Um, in our immediate area, we looked at, you know, around 70 different farms uh, looking for the right spot for what we had imagined. And, um, you know, testing the water at the farm was uh, a really important, you know, selling point for us, if you will. I'm sure it uh, confuse the real estate agents, but, uh, we, um, you know, had a real interest in getting the, uh, the best water we could without filtering it in any way. So yes, perhaps filtering out some sediment, but not adjusting it further than that. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, it, it was always important to us from, you know, even before we, uh, yeah, started this thing. <laughs> well, and I imagine Waterford, Virginia, um, you know, that the locals are pretty proud of their H2O if the or at least acknowledge that it's there, um, given the given the name. I hope so. I mean, it's not a, a common topic <laughs> of conversation here in the neighborhood, but you know. <laughs> Um, but even even the name of the farm, John uh, Wheatland Spring, I mean, it comes from uh, a still functional um, spring head here uh, that sure. feeds into the Catoctin, which feeds into the Potomac. So um, there's there, we we were fortunate to have a, an excellent water source here. That's great, um, and I mean, it, and and does it lend itself? Does the does the existing profile? I guess it lends itself to the loggers that you had in mind, but can also fit into the other styles with you know, modest manipulation if necessary. Yeah. And we, we don't, we, we filter it um, just to take out the sediment. Um, it, it's cause it's coming hundreds of feet below the, uh, the fields. Um, but that's about it. Once in a while, we'll put a, a dash of something if we're making a more hop accentuated beer. But uh, yeah. other than that, we, we try to, to do as, as absolutely little to it as possible for the farmhouse sales, nothing's done to it. Sure. And for the uh, person on this call who is not the uh, science focused one, just the taste focused one, I can say the biggest compliment we have are the uh, cyclists who stop here and fill up their water bottles and ride a ride, you know, for some hours more than come back for a beer afterwards. Afterwards, so they're uh, stopping to fill up the water bottles, which we think is kind of fun. <laughs> That is, that's, I mean, that's, that's smart community outreach as well. <laughs> um, all right. So we covered grains and malts. Uh, tell me about your hops. Uh, well, it depends uh, what we're making, but we don't, we don't grow hops here. Okay. And uh, the reason why is because uh, as the, the grains are about, oh, it takes about a decade to get uh, the grains going from uh, research to actual growth uh, in their 
in the research life cycle, um, hops take quite a while too. And most of the hops have been bred for uh, a certain latitude on earth and certain growing conditions. Um, and it's not here. And so for yeah. us, uh, our, our number one focus is making the highest quality beer we can. And because it's an agricultural product, we grow whatever we can here. Um, next we go to our neighbors. There's about 400 acres of sustainable farms across the road from us. So we go to them, uh, to source it. And if they don't have it, we start moving the concentric circles out to find places that do have the highest quality ingredients we can find. And, uh, as much as possible, share our, uh, our ethos and our focus on, uh, sustainable, uh, growing and sustainable sourcing. So the hops, uh, there's a farm eight miles east of here on a small scale, um, they grow some hops. And so we use those, um, in some of our farmhouse sales and, you know, we do a, a spontaneous every year in our cool ship. Mm-hmm. Um, all the rest of our farmhouse sales are open fermented, but they're with uh, yeast that we pitch, uh, that we wild captured in our fields. Um, and then the other hops we get from, from various locations. Um, we gladly buy, uh, hops from this area. Um, there's just much fewer options available uh, in the, in the mid Atlantic right now, but we're hopeful in the next 10, 20 years, that's going to change. What, what are you seeing that leads to that hope? What are the conversations that you're hearing? For sure. Yeah. Um, so my understanding is there's uh, research going on at the universities in the area, um, trying to understand uh, just as they would for any other uh, produce, um, how to breed them to succeed in this environment with the daylight hours, with the humidity levels, with all the different kinds of um, environmental pressures that uh, hops would have here, trying to find those cultivars that would do well and, and breed potentially new cultivars uh, for this region. Without um, the intervention of spraying on a regular basis. So in our area, um, it is you know, relayed to us that to grow hops here um, still requires a lot of spraying in the fields, which we, you know, are not uh, interested in doing. That makes sense. Um, when you are getting the local hops from, from the nearby farm, um, what have you found that they're growing? What, what, you know, when you're talking about high quality, what, what varietals are, are they growing and that you're finding that you can put in your beers? Yeah, uh, two that we've had uh, really good luck with are uh, Chinook and Cascade. Okay, that makes sense. Yep. Um, if would would you think about adding hop crops and and binds if if the science catches up if the if the trials become successful? Is that 100%. something that you'd want to do? Yeah, absolutely. I think for for us though the 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 litmus test is always, can can we do something that is going to be good for our farm and best for our beer better than anybody else? So for us, it's not a novelty of saying, uh, we grew this and we're putting it in the beer um, and it's, you know, makes it in a state beer, makes it local. Um, for us, the quality has to come first. And so we're able to do it with the grain and specifically with the grains that we're getting into. Um, if there's not many or we're the only people growing those grains, uh, it creates a great opportunity for us to, to have really expressive beer. And so that, that gets us excited, gets us excited. Um, and it creates, it creates a uniqueness, um, for the beer, Mm. um, for the hops. Um, absolutely. Uh, the infrastructure though is not cheap. Um, and they're very water intensive and 
they're uh, labor intensive and spray intensive and all these different things that we have to consider because it, it would it would change our operation from a regenerative farm into a a hybrid or half conventional half regenerative so that's a consideration that we have to take um so in short yeah we're interested in it um it kind of depends what cultivars come out and what opportunities we have um if we're able to create um, a great yielding really interesting unique flavored hop here um yeah we're all in um, if, if something comes back that's you know half the yield and has a bunch of disease pressure and the flavor expression isn't as good that to us, the novelty of growing it here isn't enough. Yeah. So we use herbs instead. So for bittering and things like that or other flavors, okay. we'll, we'll use herbs that we grow. Like what? Uh, love our pineapple sage, uh, rosemary, uh, different kinds of basil. Um, trying to think what else we have. We just actually we just picked up some uh, starts from the, uh, the garden center today after our snowfall yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was all rain for us, but yeah. That's, oh man. It was strange. It was bad. It's bad. Yeah. That, that's there's it's a, the cruelest that, month. <laughs> that's right. Well, there's a reason they say don't plant anything before May one in Virginia, just because mm -hmm. you never know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we use, we use all sorts of other herbs um, in, uh, in different beers. And that's got a, I mean, help with, because there are so many different flavors aside from the four main ingredients that are going into beers these days as well. Um, that has to lead to customer intrigue, but also um, allow you all to, to, to be creative when putting recipes together. Yeah, for sure. Um, absolutely. And, you know, nothing beats picking fresh herbs out of the garden and putting them in the bright tank to, uh, to condition a beer. Um, it's, you, you can't be closer to the source. So it's, it gives us a lot of flexibility on exactly what we want to put in and when we put it in and how fresh we, uh, we have it. And, and, and it's, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead, Bonnie. Oh, sorry. Now I was thinking about our honey as well. So one of the things that's always fun for me is, um, experiencing the honey that we harvest and how the taste changes in the honey based on what we have in the fields at that time. Uh, a good example being a clover cover crop that John had in, I think it was last year. Mm -hmm. um, and we harvested, you know, the clover honey, a really dark, uh, different type of honey. And we put it in one of our beers and the, the clover honey really expressed in the beer. It, um, you know, came through very nicely. And uh, then the, you know, the, the previous times that we had harvested the honey, it was, um, you know, feeding off of our usual natural uh, crops, but uh, the clover honey was a lot of fun. And I think the customers really enjoyed that as well. Um, drinking it off the draft and um, hearing that story of the, of the clover, they really, they really tasted it as well. So that sort of leads me into yeast. And you're talking about the uniqueness of, of the beers that you're making. Um, when you are using wild yeast harvested from the farm, ha have you been able to detect you know, what that culture is, what those microbes are imparting into the beers? I'll is let John. Yeah, third taste of the farm. That one in one second, um, because he knows those yeasts far better than I do. But I'll also just uh, take a moment for humor and say a lot of this can sound quite romantic, but the day in and day out is, you know, really hard. And, uh, um, you know, when you're talking about the yeasts of the different yeasts that we had captured around the farm, 
uh, John and our brewer Austin had the uh, fun experience of uh, tasting through those different <laughs> samples, and they were disgusting. I mean, uh, a handful of them showed promise, and they had a direction where they could, you know, you know, go from there. But there were a handful of them that I am so sad those had to taste had t- had to touch your lips, John. I mean, <laughs> yeah, there, there were some rough ones in there. No question about it. <laughs> so anyway, about the yeast yeah, that was successful, yeah. No, as I, I I appreciate Bonnie saying that because I know we're we're hitting all the highlights as you know w- which makes sense. But yeah, it's there's you know for every this is like the iceberg uh, for every uh, bit of uh, success or something that turned out right. There's a thousand things and a thousand hours that went into something that didn't go exactly as planned. Um, yeah, a little bit pre. I don't. We'll get back to that, Easton. One quick second, but sure, of uh, course. I know earlier in the conversation you had mentioned, isn't it stressful? Something along those lines. And I can tell you, um, you know, also living with your business partner and having them stress about, you know, the changing weather conditions and is the hard frost going to hit our wheat and da 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 da. Um, you know, those are that's very real. There's the real farming aspect to it that. Um, you know, it's a whole separate business line. So we've got the farming, the brewing, et cetera. Um, so yeah, it's, it stays interesting. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, I, we can get to East in a second though, but you, you bring up something really interesting that there are a lot of you know, marriages where there's also, where you're also you know, business owners and there's, you know, obviously a, a division of work, um, it's hard to leave work behind um, when you're with the other person all the time. And I know that there are um, brewers that get into this all the time. Um, not sure, you know, how it's going to work out or, you know, or, or what it's going to be um, without sounding too much like a marriage counselor or anything. Um, uh, how, how have you learned to, to balance we're still working on it. Yeah, we, okay. You you know we make beer, right, John? I, yeah. <laughs> Luckily, it is a farm, so we have a lot of room to spread yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you hit it. Yeah. Division of labor. Um, yeah. Everyone's got it their own lane, and we're so busy that it's like you take care of that, I'll take care of this, and we'll see in a little bit. Kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, it's. It's it's one of these just you you do we know we know a lot of farms around here that's a, it's a husband and wife team and it you know our our stories sound very similar uh, in a lot of ways to theirs we have a, a, a cheese maker we have produce farmers we have all sorts of folks who who do this and it's all a, a mom and pop organization. All right, tell me about your yeast. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we um, the the yeast that we've. Uh, we've captured here. So we have three different strains that we use primarily um, uh, Westfield, Eastfield, and Hope Tree. Uh, when you come visit us, the, the, the nomenclature will be instantly understandable. Uh, okay. The Westfield comes from the Westfield. Uh, the Eastfield comes from, you guessed it, uh, yep. Eastfield. Um, and then the Hope Tree is this tree we have in the middle of the two fields. Um, and they all express differently. So the, the Eastfield um, throws, uh, I guess, maybe a classic Belgian saison um you get a little bit of pepper in there a little bit of hint of citrus um the westfield uh expresses a little bit more delicately um you have a little bit of uh, orchard fruit in there maybe a little pear um and then the hope tree uh, it for us it 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 really throws more abbey like qualities to it so we put that in a belgian double we use that for more the um the, the belgian lines uh that we make so 
we're, we're super fortunate that they, they each have their own uh, characteristic and they, they each have their own way of expressing themselves. And so we, uh, once we got those, uh, we had them isolated. Um, there's a, a lab nearby uh, where we get our yeast about a half hour from here. We get our, our uh, clean yeast there for the lagers and, and some of the ales. And then um, he also um, isolated those and then uh, propped them up and identified them. They're all uh, sac diastaticus. Um, so they're, they're wild hmm. and they attenuate like crazy. Um, but they still, they still perform pretty consistently um, batch to batch. And when we make a farmhouse ale, we'll fill up the cool ship upstairs in our hundred year old barn, the brew houses and the old uh, tractor drive through downstairs. Um, and then we'll, we'll throw the wort in there, pitch the yeast um, and let it rip. And it really is uh, fairly aggressive. Um, takes, you know, less than a week to, to do its thing. And then we'll rack it into barrels and then, Oh, wow forget about it for a while. And we put that in the old horse stable. And so that's our barrel seller. Um, take it over with the tractor. Um, and then we let them, uh, let them age there. I love it. That's, I mean, it just, it has that, I know it's hard work, but it has that sound of romanticism of old world beer. Totally. No, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, we, you know, as, as, as tough as it is day in and day out, um, you know, there are, there are some times that are really rewarding. Um, and so it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, I guess we kind of have, have developed a system here that works for us. Um, and this is something we talk about all the time is ingredients and methods and how that creates the beer and the ingredients are unique to what we use and our methods are unique based upon our footprint here, both the advantages and disadvantages of what we have here on the farm. And we couldn't tell you exactly how that changes the beer pro flavor profile, but I'm sure it does. Um, and then it creates something um, that we feel good about. We that's at the end of the day, you know, our, our, our last test is do we feel proud about offering this beer, a particular beer to our friends and family? Um, and if we don't, then we sit on it or we get rid of it. And if we do, then we offer it to folks. You mentioned how hard it can be. What's the state of small farming in America right now? Oh, man. <laughs> do you really want yeah, to go do, there? Do you, have, do, you have, do you have a few hours to talk about this one? <laughs> no, yes. I mean, I, I think so. I, I want to jump in on that one. So I think um, no matter where you live, what your job is, um, some of the things that used to be beautiful through your eyes become the daily in and out, right? Um, but I think when we were looking to do this, one of the things on the must-have list, if you if you will, was to save a, a historic farm. Um, so we didn't want to start new. We didn't want to build a barn. Um, we knew that there were, you know, I can't even guess how many um, farms in dilapidation across the United States. Um, where we're located, we're only an hour north, uh, northwest part of me of Washington, D.C. Um, so still very much within, you know, the commute to D.C. Um, and we felt very passionate about this location, the buildings date from 1832. Um, the newer barn on the property is a hundred years old, which houses the warehouse or houses the brew house. 
um, there's so much history and so much here and so much to save and cherish. Um, that's a, you know, a part of what we're proud of here. And I think folks who visit for the first time, you know, often point to the older barn that we have dating from 1832. And they, they notice that, you know, the woodworking uh, was done by a hand from that time. It's just a, a different experience, a uh, step back in time. And when we take a, a minute to remember that and realize it, and remember that was part of the goal here, that's incredibly rewarding um, to look out across our fields. And sometimes when people come to a winery or brewery, of course, they're also looking for a beautiful view. And for us, that beautiful view is the acres upon acres of grain that, you know, John has selected the seed for has, you know, he's the one out on the tractor in the blazing heat, you know, putting the blood, sweat and tears into the farm. And that's beauty in our eyes. Um, gosh, it's hard sometimes. Right. But yeah. um, it's, there's a, there's a real reward at the end of the day. Um, we actually have a, a shirt that I uh, love to mention to folks. Um, anyone who comes here and puts their blood, sweat and tears into the farm uh, earns a, a special shirt that we have that is not available for purchase. Um, and um I just uh is it a logoed shirt or does it have a saying on it? It is a logoed shirt and then okay. on the back it says farmhand. I think it says Wheatland Spring Farmhand. Okay. Um and uh so it's kind of a fun thing we do. Uh but um but yeah uh I think I, that's one of the tangents I was talking yeah. about John. <laughs> No, but but and I, and I think what where Bonnie's going with this is uh, for us small farms are a really big deal. Um, so I I grew up in Illinois. I spent every summer at my grandparents' farm, and Bonnie uh, grew up in West Virginia, and she was around farmland. I just had the opportunity to visit my mom for Easter, and unfortunately, the hundreds upon hundreds of acres of cattle field that I ran through as a kid is now a huge subdivision, and it's heartbreaking. Oh no! <laughs> but but it's our our um, our thinking on this is trying to to reintroduce agriculture and beer um, for the craft of beer, but I think the uh, a more macro goal here is to reintroduce people to small farms and the value that small farms have unto themselves. And I think if if there's an opportunity to get people excited about agriculture, maybe some kids. Uh, can get excited about agriculture because we have fewer and fewer farmers uh, every year uh, who want to go into farming, especially small farms. Um, and it doesn't matter where you're from or what you do, everyone needs to eat. Um, and food comes from farms. So trying to uh, trying to reconnect and reignite that interest uh, in people uh, in this stuff. And you'll see that when you come visit, John. Um, you'll see that you sit in the beer garden and you can see the barley and wheat growing uh, a couple hundred feet from where you're sitting in the brew house. Uh, there's a glass garage door that leads right out to the brewer's garden and our crop fields. Everywhere you are in the area, in the guest area, you can't avoid seeing the farming. Uh, and, of, and of course, that's on purpose. Uh, we, yeah. we wanted to create that that connection for people. So even if you came here and just wanted a beer, you can't not see the agriculture. And and for us, you know, Bonnie was saying this a few minutes ago, some of our favorite conversations are people who don't know about any of this stuff, don't know about beer, don't know about farming, um, but they're genuinely curious and want to have that conversation. And we love it. Uh, we, we welcome that. So it's, 
it, it is a there is a bigger mission um, to to raise awareness, um, to to have those conversations, to to have more attention focused on small farms, because once they're gone, they're gone. Uh, you don't get small farms back. And this this gets to this idea of having different growing regions and regional um, cultures in the United States. Yeah. Where the, yeah, there's benefits to having large supermarkets and grocery stores and chain restaurants, and I understand it. Um, but when we lose those mom and pop restaurants and those those bakeries and those pasta places and those breweries that are using local ingredients, truly local ingredients, um, you lose part of that regional identity and you lose part of that cultural identity, and it doesn't come back. We're lucky to be located where we are. Uh, we are within a a community of small, younger farmers, um, some who have taken over the farm from parents, but others who have, you know, started new as first generation farmers. Uh, We, you know, are so thankful that we're able to connect with them, tap into their knowledge, lean on them when we have a question and hopefully vice versa, if we could ever, you know, do that for them. and so that's uh, encouraging. And we have a, a farmer's market here Saturday morning, starting at the end of this month, um, where all those small family um, farmers are able to come and bring their bring their goods. Uh, I think during the pandemic, many, many more people uh, we heard from local farms were turning to them for, you know, their um, daily or their weekly shopping list um, versus going to you know, uh, you know, the grocery store, nothing against grocery stores. We all go there. (laughs) Um, but, um, so I think, you know, lucky to be in an area where people, um, value that. Um, but to your question across the United States, of course, it's really sad story. (laughs) Yeah. But, but I think this is, you know, Bonnie reminded me, this is, uh, the, the silver lining here is what we've discovered and the experience we've had is that if you, if you're able to create, an environment to create a product or create an offering that people have access to that does support small farms in a sincere way, where you create, you know, a farmer's market where people can support their farmer's markets here. People want to do that. Our experience is that people want that ability and are interested in that ability. It's just not been always clear how they could do that. And so, uh, at least from our perspective, um, there is this vein in society that's interested in this. And there are a lot of people who are, are really excited about this, who are younger farmers coming up who want to do this. Um, so I, I feel like there is a lot of hope going forward. You just We just need to continue the momentum. I've been asking folks on the show, and you guys can probably answer this separately. Um, in fact, I'd love for you to each answer this question. Uh, but I've been asking folks on the show uh, with the premise of, on the television show, The Good Place, there is a concept of walking through a green door and the green door will take you anywhere you want at any point in time with whoever you want to, to do whatever you want. So if such a door existed on this plane of existence um, and you could, after this conversation is over, walk through a green door and be at any pub or any brewery anywhere in the world, where would you want to be? Who would you want to be with? And what would you like to be drinking? Wow, that is hard. And I've never heard of that show, but I'm going to jump in here. Um, so I've got it. It's Baki's Bodega. Oh, good Baki's one. Baki's Beer Bodega oh, in Baden-Baden, Germany. It's a 
outdoor hole in the wall, if you will, super local, local wine, whatever else. Wine by the cask. Wine by the cask for sure. And uh, I'd be there with John and uh, we would be having um, local Baki beer or wine. We have such a, a beautiful memory of uh, spending an evening there in the beer garden and the beer and wine was uh, local, rustic, and absolutely phenomenal. Oh man, that is such a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can you can you can join in on it uh, if if you want. Well, okay, I'm gonna. Can I do the genie three wishes thing here, where I do like <laughs> I had I had something in mind, and then she kind of is is I'll okay. Just so, go. so there's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, there's, there's two spots here. One is um, Eyinger. Uh, the brewery and they're only open on the, what is it? First Sundays of every month. First Sunday of the month. Um, so we'd go out there, you know, dress in our truck, put our trier, later hose and Um, yeah. and, uh, yeah, Anger is, I think they make amazing beer. Uh, it'd be a hellas. Um, they do a fantastic job. Uh, love their spot there. Um, and then, um, I guess for the other spot would be, um, there's this little restaurant. I can't remember the name, uh, in, uh, Colmar in the Alsace Lorraine. Um, that's, I, I love that spot. I love that region of the world. Um, and they have this great mixture of German and French food, German and French, uh, drinks. So you get the wine and the beer. Um, that's, I think that's one of my happy places. I love it. Thanks to the both of you for being on, for sharing bits about the farm and, and giving us insight into agriculture in America. I, I really appreciate you both taking the time and being on the show this week. Thank you, John. We appreciate you having us. Yeah, thanks so much for the invite. The brewery, by the way, will be hosting a land beer festival in June. Check out their website for more details. Who is on your radar as a brewery worth checking out? Let me know. You can email me. It's John Hall, J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at beeredge.com, or you can get with me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. Go check out beeredge.com for our This Week in Rauk Beer and Defend Pilsner merch and follow along on social media at The Beer Edge. And of course, This Week in Rauk Beer is also online. The Facebook group is easy to search and on Twitter and Instagram, it's at TW Rauk Beer. We're able to bring you this show each week. Thanks to the companies that want to support independent journalism in the beer space. If you'd like to learn more about our surprisingly affordable rates, please reach out to sponsor at beeredge.com. And speaking of that, please check out the Craft Brewery Cookbook. Packed with bright, fresh, bold flavors and beer pairings to complement each dish, my new book, The Craft Brewery Cookbook, brings the beer garden straight to your kitchen. It's going to be released on May 10th, and you can pre-order now wherever books are sold. So whether you're a fan of fruited kettle sours or New England IPAs, The Craft Brewery Cookbook will show you how to create the ideal meal to accompany your favorite beer. It's published by Princeton Architectural Press, and you can pre-order now wherever you buy books and get it delivered on or about May 10th. The Craft Brewery Cookbook breathes new life into the concept of food and drink pairing by offering an inspired take on contemporary beer styles and cuisine. Again, pre-order your copy today, wherever you get the books. A reminder to check out the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. As for this show, Mitch Weber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer. <laughs>